to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're joined by Todd Lewis of the Praise of Folly podcast to discuss why aren't there more women in prison? Tim. If you take the... Uh, we brought Todd Lewis on here because I think he's very good on this question here on the Praise of Folly question, podcast, which I've been following for a number of years. And if you take sort of one of the central issues, and I think it's going to come back as a central issue once the nonsense of the last two years dies down in Ukraine and the, the virus stuff, um, is sort of the feminism in general, women's rights, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, is an essential issue. So if you take this sort of HR department line, you know, all institutions are supposed to be equal. You know, it, you know, you say, well, you know, how many men are in Trump's cabinet? Now, actually, Trump's cabinet might actually have a, lo- a lot of women in any way. But, um, you know, this is a common sort of ploy that's deployed at, you know, you get this sort of general question. Well, here's an institution in society, um, the prisons, jails, different other, other names you could call them, uh, mass incarceration, which is almost exclusively dominated by women, not part, dominated by men. And and if you do a lot of maneuvers that some anarchists like Chomsky or even anarchists like Hoppe would do, or Nick Gillespie will say, Freezing Magazine, like the what is crime thing, it'll take away so-called violent crime. Now, that's probably a misnomer. Um, but uh, if you t- do those kind of maneuvers, you just only look at violent crime, it's actually even, even more men. Or you, or you can do another what is crime maneuver, which gets into a bigger issue. Like, you know, the real criminals are like bankers or war profiteers or something like that. Well, you got the same thing. Henry Kissinger, you know, Dulles, uh, you know, and again, you can take other societies, Goebbels, Goering, et cetera, Stalin, Lenin. Um, and intellectually, of course, um, which is this is a long, this is a sort of common, this is not a particularly radical thing to say is the top of society almost always is men and the bottom of society is almost always men. Um, so, you know, prisons are full of men. Um, so if the sort of general arc of so-called equality keeps getting marched forward, uh, will this be addressed here? Um, now, I mean, a simple thing is just say men's performance are fat tail, which is sort of the MGTOW line, like something like 60% of men don't get to reproduce historically. Battlefield deaths, almost all men historically. Uh, suicides, again, almost all men, which you could view as a kind of proto-crime in a sense. Uh, actually, the ways men commit suicide are actually more like certain. Like, there's sort of like, you know, this is sort of the claim that Milo made is like, you know, if there's certain ways you commit suicide that aren't like certain, like a gunshot, very gunshot to the head. Come on, there's no way. That's not an attention grabber. That's a finishing maneuver. Um, so, so, yeah, that's why we brought Todd on here. Um, and the question is, I have. In some ways, it's a politically correct way to discuss a politically incorrect topic. Um, but it's also it's also an honest question here. I mean, I, in some extent, you know, I th- think, you know, you take the prison abolition movement seriously, which sort of was, it's sort of a joke in a sense, as we saw after January 6th and, you know, Biden and these sort of deep state people. That was a joke. But if you take the prison abolition movement seriously and we get let would this be a win for the MGTOW? So thanks for getting on the show, Todd. And my, you know, you take, first of all, do you agree in general with the sort of insight here, the question, and what would be your answer to? Thanks for well, being on here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I think that's actually a good point. I think the first thing I'd want to say is, I forget who wrote the book, but in 2011, 2012, there was that a uh, black nationalist type author who wrote the new Jim Crow about the prison system as a way to basically exploit black male labor. 
Well, if that's true, then the left has to admit that the prison system is Jim Crow for men. And it's the new slavery for men, not just black men, but all men, because men are predominantly in prison. And if what that book, The New Jim Crow, says is true, then that confirms what Barbarossa said, uh, the MGTOW author, that modern day society is Jim Crow for men. And I think that that's just an inescapable conclusion from what they themselves are saying. They don't say that. Because they have prior commitments against men. And we also have the idea of the disposable male that the MRAs have been at pushing and advocating. Men are more likely to die on the job, more likely to die on the battlefield. And again, the left is more than happy. I mean, look at look at the way Ukraine has been dealt with. Right. Um, they're more than happy to be, you know, let you know, give men the proverbial white feather to go die fighting the Russians um, when they really need them. And that's another problem as well. And so I think that there's this deep-seated prejudice against men in the left that prevents them from applying their own conclusions about prison as a whole to to men in general, because, again, they, they are predominant in prison. And then we talk about, well, why don't we equalize prison? I mean, there's certain male activities that you could decriminalize which would then reduce the supply of male inmates. Or there are certain kinds of female activities that you could criminalize, which would put more women in prison. I don't see either one of those things happening anytime soon. I also think that when we talk about men in prison, um, we need to look at the fact that there has been, for a long time, differential sentencing. So you go back to uh, E. Balfour Bax, the fraud of feminism. He points out that I think it was in the 1830s, uh, up until like the 1830s in British law, men and women were sentenced equally for the same crimes. And then he says, beginning with that point around that time, they started changing and women were getting lighter and lighter sentences. So, you know, the, the, the women say, well, we want the same pay for the same work. Well, ipso facto, you should have the same penalty for the same offense. But for the last, you know, 200 years, women have been differentially sentenced. And so you could argue that this is a clear case of prejudice in the uh, judicial system where it's not so much that men are committing more crimes than women, though that may be the case. It's that women are being more lightly sentenced. And furthermore, if you look at like some of the works of Paul Ellum in the MRA community, we also see that the reports of domestic assaults are actually very high from women. It's just that they're not taken seriously. Um, you know, there are accounts of you know men who who call the cops because their wife is like throwing bottles at them or doing something, and then they arrest him. So you know. Part of the other problem is people don't take it seriously when a man reports that his girlfriend or his wife is violently assaulting him. And I mean, again, that might be because if he assaults her back, legally, he can't really do that because we know how the courts are going to do that. So he's kind of hamstrung. And second of all, even if he could assail back, if she has a gun or, you know, a knife, it, you know, it's what it's what people in the army say. It's like even if you could win a violent confrontation. You could still get maimed or killed by being unlucky. And so you should avoid you should avoid these confrontations in general. And so I think the the prison system is a Jim Crow for men and a kind of neo-slavery for men. I think there's differential sentencing based on women being the privileged sex, and that was a book you told me about, Swithin. And then the fact that uh, women uh, so the crimes that they do commit are both underreported and underpunished. I think that's um, mostly accurate. Um, 
uh, uh, Tom referenced the privileged set by, sex by Martin Van Creveld. Um, and he goes an historical survey of how um, you know, women have always had a relatively um, easy ride when it comes to especially criminal sentencing and uh, general the place in society, especially for uh, low status males, any women, woman of not particular great standing or whatever would typically have higher social standing than most of um, most of the men. Um, th- there was one case he cites in which I think in the Greek period that um, the woman's on trial and uh, the lawyer basically strips her naked and goes to all the male judges. Would you put such beauty to to, to prison or fine? It's like, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't do that. Uh, and then uh, she gets off. Um, so um, this is hardly a, a new thing, although, as Todd mentions, this seems to become particularly dominant um, in the last, say, 100, 150 years. Uh, or so. I mean, just for some numbers. I mean, I just looked at it recently. Um, just looked now. Uh, the prison population in uh, 2021 in England, sorry, is it England, the UK, England, Wales, approximately only 0.004%, and I'm rounding up, of the inmates are female. Um, that's kind of not very many. Um, now, I would, and as you said, you know, women do tend to get shorter sentences um, in most cases. Although there are certain circumstances in which they do um, get longer sentences, they can do, in, uh, particularly in certain child cruelty cases, but not in a lot of the cases. Those they don't actually. Uh, but there seems to be a case whereby, if they're so bad that they treat, they get a more serious. Um, so, I mean, for instance, now he was in prison as well. There was some infamous murders in the 1960s. Uh, uh, the Moores murderers, Myra Hindley and Ian Brady. Um, I think she died in prison. Uh, they tortured some children and killed them, basically. Uh, and she was in genuine in life in prison. But so was uh, Ian Brady. Um, so there are situations in which they will get very well, relatively severe um, uh, punishments, but they it, it tends to be rare. In most cases, they get off. I mean, one of the classic arguments uh, for, for why they won't punish them as much, like, oh, no, but 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 about the children. Oh, I've got some children. I can't go to prison. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure it's a good idea to put his dad in prison because that's not going to harm the kids in any way. Uh, but apparently that argument doesn't fly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, now, what I would say is, though, as well, is I think a lot of female offenders, oh, sorry, as Todd was saying, um, like domestic abuse, I mean, from Erin um, Pizzi, who worked in sort of some of the battered women shelters. Oh, was it battered women's? Yes, yeah, she did. Um, and found basically that in many cases, like domestic abuse, um, it's both, most of the case that both parties are violent uh, rather than just one of them. I mean, it can just be one, but a lot of times both of them. But uh, it's only for the men who really get any um issue from the law from it and that's also even in the case although this is how some feminists argue how uh the i remember i was was doing a debate on equality once in a place i used to work and then we're talking about equality and then this is more income inequality and equality and just like oh no no the um the, the prison system is is sexist because in domestic in domestic um 
disputes women use weapons more and I was like oh okay I'm pretty sure that's kind of prison worthy if you assume you think prison is a good idea um so we will tend to um use weapons more as well um but again um you know it, it's, it's predominantly male and then also the way the adverts work as well it's always, it's always male perpetrators as well actually with that you get things like the uh nspcc the national society for protection of cruelty to children it basically is like oh all, all the perpetrators of violence stuff against uh uh children are male it's like no no most of it's female because they're with females most of the time um so yeah it's just um it, it it's just crazy but as what i was going to say is i think a lot of female sort of offenses as it were tend to be more reputational they will do engage some property damage and they will be violent but a lot of the time it's basically getting other men to do stuff for them in in many cases or it's reputational damage or it's just being sort of breaking up sort of um social groups and uh generally being unpleasant and trying to manipulate and get control that way and so they so the fact that they tend to avoid direct violent confrontations is probably one of the reasons why i mean even if you had for instance a gen a fair justice system i still wouldn't expect there to be more women punished than men unless of course you were going to start punishing like lies and slander much more in which case yeah women would be uh, but assuming you've eventually got similar offences as you have today and you punish them more equally, um, I still don't think you would have that many women prison, imprisoned or, or punished for that. So those would be my sort of general opening uh, comments. Tim. My next, I am push, somewhat pushed back, but um, the, the murder rate, in the number of mur male f murder offenders in the United States um, uh, in terms of uh, by gender. Now, again, we could get into sort of a, a rabbit hole, which the Supreme Court uh, period did what, what is a male and what is a female, which I don't really care to do, uh, but just sort of accept sort of some logical definition. But something like 9,000 of the murders in the United States last year were committed by males, and which is basically seven times the number of females. So, you know, one of the things that showed up in the, the, the 2020 summer was that, uh, you know, different groups commit crime at different rates. Um, wouldn't you argue, both of you, uh, that men on general commit, I mean, actually the most, you know, speaking of the sort of Jim Crow book, um, most of the, uh, most of the crime happens between men between like 15 and 35 or something like that in that neighborhood. And that's also true for school as well, school punishments, um, you know, in terms of, now, again, you could, again, you can always go to the, what is crime question here, uh, which is somewhat hangs over here, um, and it sort of maneuvers out of it as well, but, if you just focus on violent crime, uh, which seems to be sort of reasonable, um, uh, wouldn't you argue men commit more uh, uh, felonies or what we call felonies, murders, and so forth? Uh, Todd, what would you say to that? You know, it's sort of a dis, you know, it's, if you aggregate, you know, take the numbers out, you know, what would you make of that? Right. Well, I think, first of all, uh, to riff off Swithin, a lot of violence done against children is by women. It just goes underreported, again, because children spend most of their time with women. Uh, so, you know, how many of those are, are counted, actually? And then second of all, modern day society is begging the question on what is homicide. I mean, I would argue and throughout almost all of Western history for the last 2000 years, abortion is homicide. So women far exceed men when it comes to homicides. 
we just have this, you know, irrational loophole that that's not homicide. If you ask any, I mean, the last 2,500 years, I mean, the Hippocratic Oath says, I will not give a poultice to a woman to have an abortion. They knew that that's homicide. And these are pagans. So I would argue that that actually women commit way more homicides. They're just not persecuted, prosecuted for it. Uh, second of all, when we look at what a feminist would say is, well, look, men just commit more crimes. That's why they're in prison. But that's that's obviously fallacious on their part, because if, say, somebody from the right says 13 percent of the population commits 50 percent of the crime, they'll say, no, that's environmental conditions. OK, well, then men don't actually commit more crime. It's just bad environmental conditions. I mean, you, you, which way is it going to go, Miss Feminist? You can't be both ways. Um, and so there, there's that. And I would also say that one of the reasons when we look at these current conviction rates and current, uh, you know, rates of committing crime, you know, it would be interesting to compare this to data from, say, 100 years ago, which I don't know how easy that would be to get a hold of, because we lived in more cohesive societies where families stayed together, there was more trust, and, and men weren't routinely going around shooting each other. So, like, for example, someone like Walter Williams or Thomas Sowell would say, well, we grew up as poor blacks, and we remember, you know, sleeping on park benches back in the 30s and 40s. And there wasn't all this gangland violence. So some of it is clearly driven by social and economic conditions. And we can then ask what social and economic conditions that may or may not be. But I, I, that's what I would say, uh, Swithin. Um, I, I, take, I definitely take your uh, abortion point. Um, I mean, I, I don't – pretty sure there's going to be more abortions in, in England than there are murders um, in general. Although I, I, I suppose – if you were to take that out of the equation and that was made illegal, um, it, yeah, it, I, I do think it would be the case you would get more um, you would get more male offenders um, than you than you would get women. But you, Todd is certainly right to point out the uh, the clear disparity in the way, in which, especially the feminists deal with this. Uh, everything is social conditioning and environmental determinants, except when it comes to men who are somehow uh, these. Um, these great sort of Nietzschean um, Ubermenches who can um, just uh, get beyond their, uh, the herd and act as purely independent beings and, and make women's lives misery. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's, that is entirely um, accurate. And as, as, as Todd points out, yeah, most of the criminal acts do seem to be take place between uh, males between the ages of 15 and 35. It, it, it's something like that. Um, to what extent that's that's the case? Probably because men to a large extent are higher uh, risk taking. I think particularly of lower IQ levels, which I think actually correlates with higher testosterone levels in general, although not entirely. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to get a particular tail of society that is uh, particularly more crime prone than others. Um, but as Todd points out, um, clearly there's a lots of um, other social factors which would get into why um crime of this group well this group would be more crime prone in um in a certain society and in another one they they wouldn't um yeah as as um walter williams and um thomas Sowell would always say you know yeah the the hood wouldn't really exist to a large extent or it was a lot smaller back in the 50s um and now in certain cities, you know, have high uh, murder rates. And actually interesting with the murder rates and 
predominantly black gangs um, is it gives uh, an, as an aside an annoying thing with the gun control debate because everyone in, like, in England goes oh no America has lots of gun gun deaths and murders and it's like well yeah but if you get rid of like the black gang murders like the murder rate in America isn't actually very high uh, and so it just skews it um, uh, to, 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 to a large degree so um, those would be my sort of uh, general steps on, on, on that matter. To further add to the point, Peter Hitchens in his brief history of crime would make the point that if you applied Victorian policing standards to current day society, like uh, uh, public cursing, things like that, huge numbers of people would, who are currently not out of jail would be in jail. Um, it's worth adding that to that point. Um, as far as the uh, future of this question is concerned, uh, I, I think there's some argument, actually, I think this is a pretty good argument to be made that it's going to get worse. Uh, if you look at uh, if you look at schooling, um, you know, if there's sort of two arguments for schooling. One is the sort of signaling slash insurance policy. The other is the more standard, it helps you get ahead in life argument. Um, and both of those uh, boys, again, we get, you know, the question of what is. But um, if you look at those uh, boys in general, have been doing much worse in school, uh, significantly worse in school. And it's been getting it, it's been getting worse. Uh, and actually, the COVID thing has probably made it even well, we'll see. But in some, in some ways, well, the COVID thing might have even made it worse in terms of reading and other and other activities here. That that's to be known. Um, there's uh, maybe an argument made that being left alone is actually better than being there. But that's it depends on what, who's actually watching you uh, and what's the alternative there. But uh, there's some argument. You know, if you look at the sort of today's crop and you sort of project that forward, it might get worse. Um, 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 and again, there's lots of maneuvers you could always do, uh, but if you look at sort of jobs, and you look at sort of what things, and Tyler Cowan will make the point as well. The MGTOWs that you know, the sort of you take stereotypes even remotely seriously, the modern economy skews uh, toward women. Uh, uh, you know, and if you add and if add hiring standards, well, um, it goes that way. So, Todd, would you agree that this sort of males being incarcerated will probably get worse, so to speak, um, in terms of you know general population? Like, you know, if it's now like something like 80 percent, you know, will it go even higher? Uh, I think there could be an argument to made to be go higher. Would you agree? Uh, yes and no. I, I think it will. It, it could go higher in the sense that as society breaks down, uh, more men will feel themselves being driven to do violent crimes. But I think what given given that that 13 percent seems to be a large part of the prison population, Given that also there's a lot of uh, activist progressive judges that are just not going to prosecute minorities, we could actually see a decline in the male prison population because these the, the, the perpetrators of these crimes are, are just things you can't see. Nothing to see here. These people don't exist. This isn't happening. This is, these are just hate facts. And so we're just I mean, we, we can sort of see this in like places like Portland where, you know, these activist judges are give very easy bails and, you know, the police just stop arresting people because it's like, well, if I arrest this guy, he'll just be put on bail and get on the street within six months. And depending on how that goes, we might see fewer men in prison. Again, I, I don't know if that's going to be a dominant trend, but if that trend continues, we could actually see less. Um, I think you... The question is, I think, when it comes to men in prison, uh, depends to a large extent on how the authorities wish to control society. Uh, Tim, you've shown me that link, that video about some of the 
um, Foucaultian inspired ways of looking at uh, various societies, the, the sovereignty, uh, a, a disciplinary society, and then I think Deleuze talks about the control society, um, in which um, you know you you can basically control um, everybody's behaviour by you know cutting off their access to the internet and banking and other things like that. So it may end up being a situation whereby you don't need to put as many people in jail uh, as part of the um, the kind of disciplinary processes of society. Um, so I think that's a possibility. Although, um, I mean, there's there's always the goal of expanding the uh, prison population. There's, there's always benefits to doing that because, well, that means you get more budgets, you get, um, especially in America as well, you get cheap labor, as Todd pointed out before. Um, so I, 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 I think you're probably going to get more in. It's just probably going to end up being whiter uh, and um, less minority um based so that they can say we're not being disproportionately harsh um etc i think that's probably um one of the ways uh, that um is to go um just as as a side we implied i don't know if we've implied so far that somehow the fact that men are treated more harshly this is kind of implies some sort of um female control of um society as a whole which i think is true to some extent with respect to the family but anybody of any wealth is has made any money is male, and um, the highest owners and the pullers of most of the power are almost exclusively male. Uh, so I, I don't really uh, see that as a main thing. I, I think what you have with uh, men in prison, effectively, have you could argue a war of certain men against other men. And the way I would describe this now, whether this is conscious as such, is another question. Um, but a way that you could conceive of it is it's more of a move towards a pre-Christian uh, society in which you have uh, a certain number of few uh, very rich men who basically have their own harems. Uh, because one of the ways of criminalizing lots of men and, and harming their economic condi- um, conditions is that they basically become much less attractive to women. Uh, and so that means that the men at the top can basically acquire more women for themselves. Um, and so I, I see society moving towards more of a um, more towards like a de facto polygamous uh, society, um, irrespective of what the feminists think might be happening. And um, those men in power have that kind of now, whether I say whether consciously they're doing it or not, but it ends up on the margin to be in their interest, um, increase to increase the relative social status between them and the rest of the other men, I think is. Um, is at least a partial explanation, a partial motivator and explanation of the current situation. Yes, one of the, as to rip off what Todd was saying, one of the politically incorrect ways to uh, fix the uh, disparity in prison populations is to put one one ethnic group more into the the population than another ethnic group, which is sort of probably what in the end uh, will be the way, you know, the Biden types will eventually fix this. Um, thing. Your point about uh, anyone being of wealth uh, being male is entirely true uh, as well. Uh, in, uh, the power pullers and so forth. Uh, I would I would also agree with that, Swithin as well. Um, uh, moving on, to your point 
touch on your point number three about your the Foucauldian idea of the control society uh, here, with, with um, as opposed to a more disciplinary society. Uh, the control society is very much what uh, Todd's. I think one of Todd's books I've heard once he said was the uh, uh, the Brave New World, which is you know you have the Orwellian dystopia and you have the sort of Brave New World dystopia, which is sort of actually in a sense it's to some might be called a utopia, uh, but it's sort of like a society controlled by you know sort of drugs, things like that, uh, you know, vices, things like that. Uh, uh, so and if you look at drug use, um, you know, you get sort of like more recreational drugs like marijuana and DMT, which is Joe Rogan has popularized. Um, but you also get, uh, you know, other more hard drugs. Uh, this, again, is a market which, uh, uh, I, from my understanding, excuse mail, uh, I could be I could be wrong. I don't haven't done Precise again. These are certain certain areas where it's hard to get statistics about. You know what is the, you know what's the illegal drug market here? Uh, 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 which again, whether they're actually illegal or not, it's a good question. Um, but um, um, that's number one way in which you know society arguably controls the sort of large underclass. Um, so Todd, would you agree that drug use and other certain vices or means to control this sort of what you say might cut down, which I actually would agree in some ways it would probably cut down at some point or might grow at some ways, other ways too. Would you say drugs and other sort of vices like that are ways to control this burgeoning underclass, Todd? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree that the sort of, you know, th this is something that I know that you'll be familiar with, Swithin, that Rothbard mentions Etienne Bauti, and, and I always find it interesting that Rothbard missed the most important point of Bauti's discourse on voluntary servitude, that it's through the vices of the people involved that the, the golden chain of the king can pull people up uh, and make them dance. He seems to completely forget that part. And so, well, he does and he doesn't, because right in, in his Democracy, the God that failed, Hoppe points out that he attacked model libertarians, MLs, who were just, you know, Randian, you know, dopers. But on the other hand, Rothbard seems to hem and haw on this, so it's it's kind of interesting. But certainly libertarians should be more familiar uh, with this argument. I guess minimally speaking, they just don't – they don't uh, develop it much. We also have, again, Brave New World talking about this as well. But also to your point, uh, Swithin, that the system is, is, is some men, i.e. the wealthy men, over other men using, say, women as a tool – that I would I would substantially agree with that. I mean, this is sort of like what Aristotle points out in the in the politics, the idea that tyrants, those who want to rule through arbitrary decision making process, empower women at the expense of men. And this is something that E. Balfour Bax points out in his you know fraud of feminism. The goal is to build a totalitarian control grid where women are just sort of like snitches, and we even and 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 stool pigeons. And we see this also in um, 1984. George Orwell says, you know, that uh, was it? I forget the, the the love interest, whatever. But she she's for one of those uh, socialist youth leagues. And he says that women are the best snitches. <laughs> and so, you know, we see this from Aristotle. We see this from socialists. I mean, Orwell is speaking from experience because he went to Spain. Um, and this is just one element of the control grid whereby and you control men two ways. Right. On the one hand, you control the sexual supply. And so then you get men to do what you want because if they want to get the sexual supply, they're going to have to play ball uh, unless they just take it. You know, like we see in these, you know, criminal uh, under under Olympian proletariat communities. 
And then the other way is because women are a privileged class, they can hit you, but you can't hit them. Uh, then they're snitches and they can, you know, there's this great line, for, there's this great commentary in C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves where he talks about friendship. And he says that if a woman enters a male circle of friends, what, what once was a meeting of the minds and, you know, philosophy and literature, you know, because they want to include the woman in the space, then becomes something much more mundane and basically becomes trivialities and gossip. And, of course, it's these meeting of the minds, these sort of like pub meetings, like, for example, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, where all of these radicals organized and planned their revolution. But if, if you can just sort of short circuit that element, then they can't come together and meet and create these new movements. So I think basically in that sense, women are functioning practically as class allies to the uh, you know bourgeoisie. So this is a very like anti-Marxist thing. <laughs> Oh no, I, I, I'd agree entirely. With, with the um, females into male spaces, I think that's the goal is to prevent sort of male organisation. Because um, you're exactly right. I mean, um, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to mixed spaces as such, but the, uh, men would very much be all happier if they were allowed to have uh, all male spaces, some all male spaces of which they could just be all male. Um, but that, I think that is considered dangerous. Uh, by the powers that be because well when that happens you know stuff might get done and uh, of course we we can't have that because we need need to control and uh, organize and centrally plan uh, society with a permanent bureaucracy um so i think that's um that's entirely true as a uh, really random comment in this is um you i watch a number of cookery programs which you may be surprised by and uh, competitions made with chefs and um a lot of them don't do well in school and they're a bit of a dropout and then they get into a kitchen and they like it and they become good chefs now what a lot of them say is they like the atmosphere of the kitchen now they don't say this and it's not always true but most of the kitchens are almost entirely male if not entirely and it seems to be in commercial kitchens in sort of relatively high unrest not all of them but it's predominantly male and I think they probably like it because it's one of the few places where you can basically be around other men for most of the time, as opposed to working alongside women and having a pretty even split um, um, labor force. Um, so, um, yeah, um, yeah, break, breaking up um, male spaces, bad men in general. And is, I think, as Todd said, it's basically a, uh, a counter revolutionary act. My next question here is related to capitalism in general. Now, you always get into the question of what is real capitalism, what is fake or crony capitalism. Uh, and this, we, me and Swithin did a question of, you know, if Marxism is true, me and Swithin did an episode which sort of led us to do this episode. If Marxism is true, why do they want them to work in factories? Why do they want work, women to work in factories? And we sort of worked if, riffed off the work of David Graeber, gift economies and things like that. Uh, and so the question here is, um, if um, Marxism, you know, the relationship between Marxism and some version of capitalism, you can also pejoratively call it neoliberalism. Again, people like Rothbard and Mises would say it's sort of phony, although Mises says any society with a stock exchange is somewhat capitalistic. So most societies today, even China and Russia, have stock exchanges. Uh, you know, to what extent is this issue of the sort of disparity uh, between the genders as they generally considered existed uh, is a sort of you know, a sort of part of the general class warfare. 
Now, again, I, I remain a capitalist for purely like sort of a priori logical reasons um, in the sense that I just think, you know, it's sort of a superior economic system. I don't see this sort of idea of a different logics for different class groups that people like Ben Burgess and Marx imply. Whether what I'm not sure exactly what they support. Um, but, you know, to what extent is um, this part of like a way, sort of a capitalism idea to control, uh, keep, maintain control of society? You know, and like, it seems like in your work, you, you say this will be like a time bomb that'll eventually just sort of explode the whole thing. Uh, I think one of your old round chapters say liberalism is a solvent. And if this is put one of the fruits of it, uh, you know, what's the prospect of it? Because in a way, it's a sort of dystopic future here, what you're laying out, a black-pilled, pessimistic, or some other words you say. So, I mean, two questions here. What's the relationship between Marxism and capitalism? That's the first con concrete thing. You know, should the Marxists be more men's rightsy, we'll say? And number two, you know, what's the future of here, Todd? I think you're good to answer this. You know, is it is it all black pill all the way, or what? What's the general out for you? Well, I think I think Marxists should be MRAs, and in fact, uh, arguably the first modern MRA was a Marxist, Steve Alfred Bax, because uh, it is kind of it was anti-revolutionary, you know, reactionary to have women in these male spaces. Because if we look at the history of labor in Europe, in Russia, and in the United States, the various degrees to which they had successes was all based on a kind of muscular workforce. All men locked and loaded. They had shotguns and rifles. Swift, and you pointed out in our Second Amendment stream that the reason why there was the, what, the 1926-28 gun law was to prevent the workers from rising up and taking over England. So on the one hand, disarming the workers is one of the things that capitalism wants to do because it doesn't want them to rise up. But it also wants to create a diverse workspace, not just sexually diverse, but racially diverse, because a diverse workspace can't organize. So, for example, this this is a practice that goes as, as far as the written record, as far back as Carthage. So Polybius, in his account of the mercenary war, says that Carthage hired mercenaries from all sorts of different backgrounds, languages, religions, so that even though they outnumbered the Carthaginian ruling elite, they couldn't ever work together. They had different, you know, too many things were separating them, so it made it easy for the elites to control. We saw this same practice in the Caribbean islands in the uh, heyday of the slave era, where Negro tribes from different parts of Africa were interspersed together on the assumption they wouldn't trust each other, they wouldn't unite to rise up, which is largely true. Now, obviously, there was the mercenary revolt, and there was Haiti. So if you push people far enough and hard enough, that'll overcome those divisions. But that's more of a fault of the elites. So there is this there is this drive by the capitalist elite to diversify everything. And so, yeah, Marxists, I think, would have to be MRAs because there's no other way to organize a revolution in order to appropriate the means of production. I mean, women aren't going to do it. We've never seen that happen. And then as far as how, how bad society is going to get, I mean – I think we're already seeing some pretty stark trends, right? One of the trends we see is lower fertility rates in the West. So because of this socio-sexual economic setup, part of one of the problems is going to be is, okay, well, there's more older people than younger people. So there's going to be a crisis in healthcare because there's not going to be enough people paying into healthcare to keep the old folks alive. That might lead to state-sanctioned euthanasia. Um, the other problem is, they say the uh, the Islamic countries. Now, again, some of them have struggling birth rates as well, but 
if we look at within Europe proper itself, though, the, the Islamic sub-communities and certain fundamentalist Catholic and Reformed sects, like uh, Catholics in France, Reformed in Holland, are having higher birth rates and will at some point probably take over because the, the, the people that bought into this order will, will just go away. Um, I think another reason why capitalism is skewed towards women is women are the majority of consumer spenders. And so if you want to have an economy that's rooted in consumption and rooted in uh, style, fashion, and fads, as uh, you know, we, we see with uh, The American Prosperity by Paul Mazur in 1920, one of the founders of Lehman Brothers, he talks about the shift from producing and consuming for need and producing and consuming for style and fashion. Women are going to drive that, not men. It's like I think 80% of consumer spending is female. So another reason why they're going to skew to that. But what that means is consumption spending isn't productive spending. It's, you know, one of the classic points of the more, uh, you know, shift libertarians is that you you don't you don't have a, a loan for consumption. You need to have a loan for something constructive. You, you know, build a business or you build infrastructure. And so it's going to lead to capital depletion because you're just going to be for mortgaging the future for things you're just going to consume, not things you're going to actually build. And it's also going to be breed resentment between the sexes. TFM once said that most men in the West are de facto MGTOW. They don't know that they are yet, but they act like it. And I think a good example of his the truth of his statement is that recently the Twitch streamer Asmongold basically just went off in a very MGTOW-esque way. I'm not, I'm not even sure he knew he was being MGTOW, but a lot of things he was complaining about society, especially how it negatively affected men millennials and zoomers it sounded like a migtow and which does seem to think does seem to indicate that even somebody who's normie who's a streamer who's a video gamer uh whether he knows about migtow or not is sort of talking like a migtow would talk oh that's probably because he's just uh, imbibed all the uh, racist and evil statements from gamergate but that's uh that's that's another issue um with um completely lost the train of thought so the question was capitalism versus Marxism. oh that was a capitalism yeah yeah, yeah. The two questions, oh that was it so, so, so capitalism so what i would say is this any ruling uh structure if its goal is to increase its own power is always going to want to divide society to some extent to prevent any organization of resistance against them i mean um stalin diversified um members of areas of the soviet union uh with more ethnic russians to uh prevent them from rising up uh, so you would divide them. So, so that's so. Um, I don't think that's necessarily um, unique to um, sort of the current economic order. Let's call it capitalism, for one of a better phrase. Um, now, I do think Todd's point on consumption is probably interesting, and I do think relative to how the banking sector and finance is so um, important today. Uh, comparison compared with the past but i do think that playing on people's um well desire for new stuff uh actually sort of makes sense um with that um so i could see why you kind know, of consumer spending and credit cards and stuff uh, you want you want to keep the make it look as though you're being good to the, to the women folk um Although, again, though, historically, in the, in the current dispensation, because you get the corporation um, as a major organizing force from say, the 19th century onwards, um, 
the owners of uh, corporations try as much as they can to treat people. Well, you get the, the human resources department. You don't get the male resources and the female resources department. It's the human resources department. It is the same. And so there's, um, you could argue to some extent the logic of the corporation. Not necessarily, but you could say that there is um, moves towards that direction. So trying to sort of break down the um, the order of um, men and women is as distinct. Um, and of course, as Todd, you've met, sorry, Tim, you mentioned um, that um, in corporations, when you're, really, when you're running these big organizations, and all of it's basically administrative and following the rules, well, women quite like doing that and they can do it relatively well. Uh, and so, again, that would be a reason why you would try and coax them into the workforce. Obviously, of course, it's um, beneficial for the government uh, for multiple reasons for uh, indoctrination of children and tax revenue. Uh, but I think the the fact of women, I think, comes from the modern economic form of the corporation uh, and the banking uh, changes. And I think the banking stuff predominantly changes, although well, not entirely, from, say, the 1910s onwards. Uh, and obviously the corporation is somewhat earlier. And I think you really get that driving force uh, and that changes things. I mean, obviously, sociologically. Uh, women working during wartime uh, and so I think that's why you've tended to get that sort of move um, towards um, female sort of uh, co-option as it were by the capitalist class um, as, 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 as you could say. Todd would you go as far to say you're on board the Adorno, Marcuse and some of these others uh, 1960s uh, they, they're somewhat famous for saying that um, they're somewhat famous for being against most popular consumption culture, everything from the Beatles to every to like, you know, the sliced bread type thing. Would you go too far as that uh, in critiquing those? So, again, I I remain sympathetic because I think it's part of the inheritance, the Anglo tradition, partly and partly for logical reasons, capitalism sort of ascendancy. Would you go as far as to say you're a socially conservative Marxist in a way? Um, just for different reasons. And again, I think you outlined why they will fail and also uh, well, why as presently uh, uh, constructed, they will fail. And but would you go to would you go far as to go along with that line of argument, Todd, to say that, you know, because you have this sort of Keynes dream that everyone works 20 hours a day, but then consumer society popped up and that sort of happened. And we get this consumer culture. Now, I would again agree with Swithin that the sort of Keynesian banking is probably what did it in, uh, which is the sort of. Mises, Mises would go with that, you know, the expansion of credit. Uh, but that would be my argument there. Would you go as far as agree with Marcuse and Adorno and similar thinkers on the left like that? And would there be any thinkers on the sort of paleo right, so to speak, who said that point earlier? I think you'd be good for answering that. Right. So as a sort of like anti-consumerist critique of the low culture of the modern West. Yeah, I would I would agree with that strain of criticism. Now, now this is this is where it gets kind of problematic, right? I mean, this isn't the first time I've been accused of being a right-wing Marxist at this point. Part of the problem is, is there's a lot of baggage with those concepts, and I think that when we talk about labels, we need to understand well what's within the Overton window and what do people most likely understand, um, and then then we have to make the distinction. Like for example, I've been called a Christian anarchist before. It's I guess true as far as it goes. 
but then the other question is, you know, once we unpack all that uh, and look at maybe a broader scope of ideas and explanatory concepts, I think it becomes sufficiently weaker. But yeah, it, maybe fellow traveler is a better word. Um, I think that is that I would agree with them on that case. Probably the best thing to say is this idea of the commons. You know, you hear this a lot, the tragedy of the commons. Now, obviously, that's just not true. England had commons until 1850 with the enclosure laws. And so what what ended the commons was arguably the rise of the the immortal institution of the monarchy with the Normans. And then the extension, the reinventing of that with the glorious revolution of the immortal institution of banks – and so they 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 constantly were cutting off territory that was quote unquote the commons. The the real tragedy of the commons is, is diversity. You can't share things uh, in the like again a radical communal society like the Hutterites was all ethnically homogeneous, and that works. England in England it worked because England was English, right? There weren't all these other people around in the Middle Ages. So maybe something like the diggers might be a little bit more accurate, is what I'd say. But if if we do though look at like consumption and culture and and how the problem is you know what what does that mean for 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 men and women in this way you know we can we can look at how in the in the capitalist system see the, the underlying thing that I want to get at here is this when we look at modern forms of production not just capitalist production but modern forms of industrial production as pointed out by Jacques Ellul and on technique there's this overriding urge for efficiency. So even like classic Marxism, they're like, well, we need to be efficient. In fact, we're just more efficient than capitalists. That was the claim that they made, an empirical claim that turned out not to be true. Um, and in that regard, I I think that what's driving all this is that if you mandate efficiency above all else, then any, especially in your mode of production, then what's going to inevitably happen is you're going to turn people into fungible carbon units. And the reason why men are vilified more than women is it's easier to turn a woman into a androgynous carbon unit, uh, androgynous working worker carbon unit than it is a man. And so you have to, ex- you have to, the state or the, or the industrial system or capitalism or whatever has to expend more energy to push men into the, you know, fungible economic carbon unit. Because if you look at Thorsten Veblen's concept of the machine process from resource extraction from the ground to the finished product at the supermarket or the you know, retail store, you have to have these these uh, completely uh, you know uh, stable processes that are not at, at, at variance in any way. They're not they're not fluctuating. They're highly controlled, highly stable processes where specialists make interstitial adjustments. And if that's gone any sort of particularity is then going to thwart that. And the goal is to reduce all particularity, hence the drive towards fungible carbon units. And I think it's a broader extension of industrial society as a whole. Before Swithin comments, I just want to quick add another comment slash question. Um, the, you could take it as praise, but um, you could argue that the historical Marxists were MGTOWs or definitely bro club away because historical labor unions were just sausage fests. I mean, when they, especially when they were successful, like you know the Pittsburgh rail strike, like the the general strike, I think in 1922 or whatever in Britain. You look at the historical labor movement, especially when it was really in power. Um, it, it's it's mainly dominated by men. Um, um, and I think you know you, get, you should have, you have two focus. You have the class, but it's actually a form of class. 
in a way, but it's just the class you're not sort of, instead of proles and owners, it's sort of a different class. Would you take, like, you know, is Karl Marx a sort of historical MGTOW? Is, you know, is Lenin, you know, a historical MGTOW, would you say? Or was that or is that too much of a reach? Again, you could always say terms change, term words, but do you think that would be a reach to say, Todd? I think classic Marxism is more impressive, more, it's implicitly pro-male in a way that modern day political systems aren't. And and I remember there was Richard Spencer who said that like way back when the alt-right got started, like in 2012, in his alt-right podcast, he said, you know, modern day leftists, this is even before the woke movement, or would call the Soviet Union fascist and right wing because of its stance on, you know, race and gender and all that stuff. And he's absolutely right, because that's what happened. Caleb Maupin, a prominent Marxist today, is being attacked as a fascist, as all these things. And so there is there is a certain level of truth to that, I think. I, I, I agree with Todd. I think that um, the uh, classic Marxists are implicitly pro-male. It's all about the proletariat. It's all about the, the, the worker and the organization against the capitalist. And um, it, it's quite sort of... Uh, that the whole sort of Marxist view of things is very masculine. It says, obviously, of course, you get the, the feminist movement out of Marxism, or we get the oppressed class. But the way the, the classic Marxists, the pre-feminist ones, talk about it is, well, yeah, but we can kind of organize and can raise above it. Whereas, like, the feminist Marxists are like, oh, no, we've just been oppressed. Oh, oh press is less. Whereas um, the classic Marxists can kind of organize and kind of um get those things uh changed um Todd's interesting to state on um the commons and the tragedy of the commons not necessarily being a tragedy my understanding is that the uh enclosures uh, actually started um in the 15th century and interestingly it was uh well so 16th century and Henry VIII did them and uh interestingly they I remember reading argument that this was a, a ploy November the 8th to get uh, the support of the burgeoning merchant class um, to consolidate his power relative to the nobles. Uh, I've heard it interpreted as a classic sort of um, Bertrand de Juvenal high versus uh, high uh, allying with the low versus the middle. In this case, the middle being the aristocracy, the high being the king. And then you got the merchant class, relatively speaking, um, on the on on the bottom. so that goes back a long time. Now, I would say on the commons, as I was saying here, is I, I do think the homogenous people with similar goals makes it easier. Although commons and and uh, common land and stuff would have been probably more difficult to the extent to which you have relatively more mobile populations. So I think that's something to, to take into account how they could have taken place over time. Um, uh, because I think just ethnic um homogeneity i mean you might need even more sort of like local homogeneity to make it kind of work possibly uh, but you'd have to figure out how that that could do so i i think there's something with um uh transport and uh, mobility which actually relates to um the um men and women although what, what what is very relevant to say here though is the basically the practical only reason why the current economic dispensation can attempt to treat women as different to men uh, sorry as the same as men and put them in sort of like the big cog in the machine of the, of the modern corporation is because of uh, birth control in the absence of that it simply wouldn't work um 
that you haven't got uh, a lot of women in the workforce because somehow they've all become celibate. Um, that hasn't happened and doesn't seem like it will ever would happen to a large degree. Um, so, so that's something um, that needs to be sort of factored in here. But whether or not, as I said, the, the Todd mentions that um, Torsten Polit was it? I think. Um, uh, Thorsten Veblen. Thorsten Veblen, sorry, I'm thinking of somebody else. Sorry, yeah, Thorsten Veblen. Um, on uh, the carbon news, I, I can see that to some extent with efficiency uh, with corporations, although I think that's possibly like a long term approach uh, with putting down. Um, well, no, I see, because I, I do sort of think you might, you do get uh, distinctions recognized between men and women in corporations. The HR department is entirely female, and the R&D department is entirely male. Uh, probably sales is almost entirely male as well, uh, to a large extent. Uh, so I, I do think the distinctions are recognised, but I do think that they are deliberately um, glossed over, basically keep men in line to a large extent. Uh, and it is easier to manage women than it is to manage men uh, to a large extent. So I, I do think that is true. And so to the extent to which you have a situation where men, you've got larger firms larger firms in which you're going to need strong control with like procedures and stuff that's definitely going to be something that um tends against men and, and favors more women i think that's that's probably true Tim. i don't oh this will be my last comment here if anyone wants to add on that'd be great if they don't that's also great as well uh the reason i asked this question should have brought in these other questions is you know if you ask the question why you know why are there so you could also ask the inverse why are there so many men in prison um, you know, well, the sort of standard left-wing answer is to say, well, you know, crime. Is, you, well, the the left-wing answer usually it's environmentally determined. Like if these people had, I don't know, UBI or these people had opportunities and so forth, you know, they wouldn't be this way or so forth. Now, whether that's true or not is a good question. Um, but you know, it's one of the sort of standard moves. That's sort of why I run into sort of the capitalism Marxism debate versus the male-female debate. You know, and sort of over what is the sort of motive economic production in our society. So I think this has been a very interesting conversation. That, that my final, that would be my roughly my final comment of sort of why. Sort of a politically loaded question to get into sort of more of a politically incorrect topic here. Um, if Swithin or Todd have any other final comments or questions, that'd be great. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, I'll just say that the main reason why men are targeted more now is because it takes more effort by the state or the industrial process to turn them into fungible consumer carbon units than it does women. I think that's possibly true to some extent, although I wouldn't go all the way uh, with that. But I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Todd, for, uh, for joining us. If you've uh, enjoyed this podcast, please uh, share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbeam on YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings, and the more people can access this material. And if, uh, if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. Mind